This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts today, JT English. Hey, JT. What's up, Kyle? Good to see you, bro. Um, And unfortunately, time of recording uh, this, we're without our sister, Jen. We deeply love, deeply miss her. Uh, And uh, I think one of the things, hey, listen, part of being real-life friends and not just podcast partners is uh, we live real lives. And uh, in this season, Jen is attending to some loss in her family during this season. We love her. We miss her. Uh, and uh, it feels we've ne- we've we haven't ever done this, but in the future, this like as we record episodes, this might happen again. I'm sure it will happen again, where one of us has to be out for an episode. But uh, but today we're without Jen, although I'm with JT. So yeah, I'm here. I, here's the thing. I mean, Kyle, I think you said that well. Like we have been advocating for this since episode one of Knowing Faith that theology is done in community. That community is never fake. It's never. Uh, like what we've tried to put before you on this podcast is not something that is like manufactured. It's really three friends, brothers and sisters doing theology together. And that includes seasons of joy and seasons of loss. And even, you know, Kyle, Jen and I have been texting the last few days about like how, how to best step forward and caring for Jen and in the season that she's walking through right now. And we just want you to know, Jen, we know you're going to listen to this. We love you. We miss you. And we cannot wait uh, to get your voice back uh, on this show because we learned so much from you. You teach us a lot and we enjoy these conversations with you. And today we're, we are looking to jump into Romans, but instead of doing a specific passage, uh, JT and I are going to bounce around the topic of Romans and the doctrine of salvation. And this is a little bit different, but because uh, of just over the last few seasons, we've really been using and introducing a ton of terms that could be new for our listeners. And I thought, you know what? Mother is the learning of repetition, right? Um, well, I think I said that. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, you did say it a, the wrong a couple way again. Of, a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> mother is the repetition of learning. Um, so let's do some review and uh, some kind of refreshing uh, on the terms in Romans that concern specifically the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, how does that sound, JT? I'm in. Let's do this. Let's do it. So when you hear the word salvation, let's just start there. Now I think it's easy for us to go. Well, hold on. Aren't we talking about the words that are involved in the doctrine of salvation? We are. We're going to get to some very specific words, but I want to start with just the big idea of salvation. Mm-hmm. What is? What do we mean when we say salvation? Well, let me be a good systematic theologian and not answer the question you're asking because salvation has to be determined by this idea of like there's something to be like. So salvation at the very basic level is to be saved from something, to be yeah. redeemed, purchased back, cleansed, bought from, but is you know, good evangelistic preachers will tell you like, you have to get people lost before you can get them saved. And so, and that's what Paul does actually in Romans is he reminds them not first of their salvation, but first of their sinfulness and their separation from God. This is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. It's a true recognition of what it means to be a human being who is in Adam and who is in Eve. So Paul is clear in this book in Romans that salvation derives from, first of all, the character of God. It's who he is, but it's also our situatedness, being saved from ourselves, but also being saved from the implications of Adam's sin and our sin. We've talked about those terms in in kind of theological categories, things like original sin, us being implicated in Adam's sin, total depravity, our nature as a result of Adam's sin. But like, I just want to make this real clear and like applicable for us. Like it's salvation from your current state. Like, remove this from this sense of like, it's, it's the shame that you feel 
the guilt that you feel, the sin that you have committed against God, yourself, and others that has separated you from him. So salvation is the good news at the highest possible level that God loves his creation and is bent on redeeming us through the person and work of Jesus. And that's also very granular or uh, close to you, like yep. your actual sin, your separatedness from God and what God has done, not just for the world, but for you through the person and work of Jesus. Yeah, and the gospel is the power of that saving work. You know, Paul says in Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And um, so this salvation is really the engine behind salvation is the good news of the gospel, the mm-hmm. intervening activity of God, that he steps into the situation and the Son of God takes upon himself human flesh and redeems and rescues. He seeks and saves the lost is how the gospel of Luke talks about it. And so when we think about salvation in the broadest terms, yes, there is something we need to be saved from. And in Romans 1, after Paul says, listen, uh, the uh, the good news of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, he gives us the problem. So let's let's kind of keep following this along and talk about sin. So yes, if, if salvation, if part of that is understanding we need to be saved from something, uh, we need to talk about the impact of sin. And when we covered this, we talked about how sin has an identity impact, it has an idolatry impact, and it has an immorality impact. Uh, You're such a good Baptist. Hey, you know, if I can hit three points with all starting with the same letter, then it's like, that's to me the golden... That's the golden goose. That's Capti what I want. Bapti, coming in for the win today. I love it. You know, I do what I can. So we talked about sin has an, it presents an identity problem. Mm. Um, and we, we see this uh, play out in Romans 1, 18 and following. There's an identity problem. We're no longer uh, living in the identity that God's given us. Now we're, we are living in Adam uh, and in his broken estate. It presents an idolatry problem. The idolatry problem in that we are born into this world uh, not uh, giving our worship and affection uh, and loyalty to God, to whom it belongs truly and truthfully, but to lesser things. The glory of the immortal God is exchanged mm. for the glory of creaturely things. And that identity and idolatry problem leads to an immorality problem. It plays itself out in our real horizontal lives. And one of the most palpable ways that we see that at the end of Romans 1, we hear that God gives them over to dishonorable passions, which includes sexual immorality, but it also includes uh, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So the problem of sin is not just a condition problem, though it begins there. It's not just a worship problem. Although it goes there, it's a condition and a worship problem that leads to a actions problem. We, mm-hmm. we don't behave as we ought. So sin has broken us. Uh, the theologians have said that sin makes us the doctrine of total depravity of which Romans becomes a very, Romans 1 through 3 becomes a very crucial part of kind of the source texting of total depravity. They, they say that we are unable and unwilling to choose righteousness apart from God's intervening grace. Yeah, and that creates a problem for us to even step back a little bit. I mean, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, therefore God's wrath is revealed against you. Like, this is this is something that isn't talked about a lot today, and I don't intend to, like, you know, you, you use the language of like fire and brimstone or like 
God being this kind of capricious, you know, emotional God who just desires to pour out his wrath on people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a perfectly just, righteous, loving, merciful God that we have walked away from, both in our identity, our morality, the things that you just mentioned, Kyle. And that means God's wrath is revealed, Romans 1.18, from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So one of the first things that we need to know about ourselves, which should create theological, epistemological, uh, and just anthropological humility, is that by nature, we suppress, deny, turn away from the nature and character of who God is. And that means God's wrath is revealed against us. And so salvation, as we're talking about today, the doctrine of salvation in Romans is is this idea that God's wrath has been revealed towards us, but also his salvation is made available to us in Christ. Yes. And uh, a huge part of this work of salvation is providing what we desperately need, uh, and yet what only God can provide. It's, it's, it's receiving that, I should say, receiving what we desperately need and what only God can provide, which is righteousness. Now, that is a mega word when thinking about the doctrine of salvation in Romans, and much ink has been spilled about it. When we covered righteousness, we really talked about when you're thinking about righteousness, there are kind of three categories to think about when it comes to the word righteousness that's used, as it's used in Romans because it's very clear we need to be made righteous. We are born unrighteous, and yet God is righteous. So that's that's kind of the problem. God is righteous. We are unrighteous, and we can't fix it. So what does it mean to be made righteous? So we talked about the righteousness of God, kind of three angles. We talked about the righteousness from God, which is the righteous standing that God gives. You could think about this as righteousness as the source of salvation, meaning it's what we need to be made um, in order to be saved. Yeah. So righteousness as the source of salvation. We talked about the righteousness of God, which is the perfect character of God that we are to emanate. You can think about this as righteousness not merely as the source of salvation, but as the standard of God. His, it's his it's kind of his expectation of his people. Uh, and then we talked about righteousness of God as his faithfulness to his covenant promises. So this is righteousness as the character of God. And you might say that throughout Romans, and we did a great episode with Dr. Mike Kruger on this last season, where he was very clear, listen, righteousness is, mul- is a multifaceted concept in Romans, and we kind of have to look at the context to see what's in view when that word or concept is being used. But we can say that throughout Romans, we're hearing about righteousness as God's standard for the saved. We're hearing about God's righteousness as the substance of his character. And we're hearing about righteousness as the source of the salvation that he and he alone can provide. And so as we go through Romans 3, we hear no one is righteous, no, not one, no one seeks after God. But it doesn't end there because in 4 and 5, we get the hope that we can be made righteous, and that doctrine is called justification. Mm -hmm. JT, like if somebody just asked you after a service, they said, hey, pastor, what's justification? And I know – you and I know the secondary literature on justification is – technical and vast. Uh, but how might, what would you kind of your knee jerk response, the thing that you needed them to walk away hearing from you about justification, kind of how would you send them? Oh man. I mean, this is something that, I mean, goodness. I mean, this is, I mean, it's in some sense, it's the whole story of the Bible. Like it's God's power to save his righteousness to be given to us. Like it's so much, but like, let's just simplify it. Justification 
is to be declared right by the right God. Mm, mm. Like it's to be. I like that. It's to declared. Be, de, you said declared right by the right God. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Or could you say like you're saying by right you mean declared righteous by the righteous God? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, just I love that phrasing though. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. If you want to go back and repreach that, you, you go ahead and. You it's ahead. too late. I've already <laughs> preached. <that. laughs> so like, and that's good news. Is that there is a righteous God who is not acting unrighteously. In any way, because that would be against his character, because he is the righteous or the right God. And what he has done is provided us the way for us to be declared righteous in Christ also. So justification by faith is to to, to be declared righteous by the righteous God. How does that happen, though? And that's really what Paul explains in Romans chapter 4 with Abraham, because you've got this group, again, to kind of step back in the doctrine of salvation is what we're talking about and how that is kind of woven through this story of what Paul is doing in Romans is he's got a strange group of people, Gentiles and, and Jews, who believe that justification comes through different means. Justification is either afforded basically kind of through this nominalism, like God declares us right, it doesn't really matter what we do, or this ethical standard or ethnic standard of being Jewish, of doing these things so that God can declare us righteous. And Paul kind of weaves this middle way of saying, nope, look at Abraham. Abraham is the one who was the first to be declared right by the right God. How? Through faith. Yeah. That Abraham is declared right by the right God because he has given himself over to believing that God is the right God and trusting in his promises for himself, for his family, and ultimately for the world. Yeah, and the invocation of Abraham is followed up by the invocation uh, invocation of David. So basically in Romans 4, Paul's like, you remember Abraham and David, those two uh, spiritual superheroes. Yeah, this is like of the your... Mount Rushmore of, of right. like Old Testament history. Like these are the yeah. two people that every Jew in the audience is thinking about. Like, oh, David and Abraham. You're telling me they were declared righteous? How? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's through the work of faith. And yeah. uh, and whereas the temptation for some of the Jewish community would be to think they were declared righteous because of their fidelity to Torah keeping, their fidelity to the law. Uh, now. I think it's fair, and we, we, we did this in some episodes last season, to kind of acknowledge that uh, there has been a lot of <clears throat> uh, uh, criticism of saying that the entire Jewish community believed that salvation came through law-keeping, that there were various approaches to the role of the law in covenant love and salvation. So we're not saying – Hey, as a whole, or, or categorically, every Jew in the church in Rome, or e- every Jew in this period of the life of the church and the Christian community, is saying you must be a lawkeeper to be uh, uh, in covenant relationship with Yahweh. But there's clearly, we see this in Romans and in Galatians. There's clearly enough of that going around that Paul feels the need to course correct on the issue. And by invoking Abraham and David's name in Romans 4, he is at pains to point out that the righteousness that we need cannot be secured by keeping the law. It cannot happen. Um, And that doesn't mean that obedience to God is useless or purposeless. It just means that obedience to God must be properly rooted in a renewed, restored relationship with God that only he can provide and that we can only receive by grace 
through faith. Now, it's a, go ahead. I was going to say, say what I'm about to say, you're going to agree with. This isn't meant to be like a gotcha moment, but I, th- I think it's important when we talk about the active obedience of Jesus, it is important for us to remind ourselves we are absolutely saved by works. Right. And again, we're, we're on the same page here, but this helps us not diminish obedience and not diminish God's law and not diminish a human who was perfectly obedient to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, and he came, was tempted in every way that we would be, yet was without sin because he obeyed this Torah obedience on our behalf, which is what we're actually called to. We're called to this obedience. Yeah. We're called to, to following God in all things. Jesus does it on our behalf, imputes and imparts that righteousness to us. Again, I know you're saying that, but yeah. I, th- I just think it's important to say like, it's that we have faith in the one who was obedient on our behalf so that we could then now have the righteousness that he garnered on our behalf. Yeah. We're, we are saved by a perfect law-keeping Israelite. That's right. It's just not us. That's right. And we place our faith in him and his yes. his impartation and imputation of righteousness to us, which is what Abraham ultimately is doing. Absolutely. And that faith, I want to pause there because uh, the old theologian called faith the instrument of our salvation. We draw everything from the work of Christ and contribute nothing to it. And I think that's really helpful. We, we talked about faith, and I think it's helpful to think about faith with, I got three A's for you. You ready? I had the three eyes. Now I have got the three, three A's. eyes, three A's. Capti Bapti, everybody. Faith is the ascent of our minds to that which God says is true. So it's saying yes to what God says is true about who he is and what he's accomplished and specifically who the son of God Christ is. So it's ascent. And then it's heart. It's adoration. It's not just saying that's true. It's saying that, no, it's true and it deserves my worship, my love, my affection, my adoration. So it's ascent. It's adoration and it's action. It's head, heart, and hands. Faith isn't just one of those things. It's not just taking the quiz and checking yes to the right doctrines. And nor is it merely saying, I feel as if God loves me, though it's both of those things. It's also a life of obedience and fidelity and loyalty. Uh, we've talked here a little bit about Matthew Bates's wonderful book, Faith as Allegiance, or Salvation by Allegiance Alone, on how the Greek word for pistis has, a, has loyalty connotations, allegiance connotations. So when we think about faith, we're not just saying that you can answer the right quiz questions, because even the demons could do such a thing. We're saying that you believe that Christ Jesus is the son of God, that you worship him, and that you are giving your fundamental allegiance and actions over to him. Man, I didn't know we were going to get like full Capti Bapti today. We got hey. two alliterations. We got head, heart, and hands. Yep. And it's all been gold. Like I, the Thank thing you. is, is like I can't disagree with anything you've said. I'm just— Well, that's a first. <laughs> well, hang on. Give me a second. Let me think about it. <laughs> well, talk, talk about surprises. I was just surprised when you lifted up your arm. I forgot you basically have a robotic arm. And oh, you came up man. on this screen, and I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, JT has been texting me pictures from his surgery, which— I'm squeamish and it's not, I do not appreciate it. And I have told him many times. <laughs> Every time Kyle sends me a text that I'm not appreciative of, I just send him a picture from surgery. <laughs> <sighs> it's like nauseating. And when I saw your arm, it triggered me. Um, yeah. but- I'm hanging in there, guys. So my staff here at Storyline is, they're not trying to, but they're making jokes about my bicep. They're like, hey, are you going to, one of my staff members said on Sunday, are you going to wing this sermon? And I was like, is that a bicep joke? Like just winging it? Like that, that's offensive. Like I'm not winging anything. I, my bicep is torn. So I'm hanging in there. I got this silly contraption on. I'm, I'm fine, Kyle. I, I appreciated that cookie bouquet you sent me. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah, that was... Oh, wait. You didn't send me anything. I didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought about it for a hot second, then I forgot about it. <laughs> so, my bad. Uh, uh, Doug Moo, he says this about justification, um, and, I, and I like the way he phrased it, uh, and I want to give him credit. Justification, acquittal from the guilt of sin. You know, in justification, we are forgiven for good forever. That, that yeah, justification. And that is not in contrast, but that is the, uh, that, that comes before what we would call sanctification. And where Paul moves in Romans 5, from Romans 5 to Romans 6, Romans 6 begins to focus on, I mean, we open up Romans 6 with this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Hmm. By no means. By no means, yeah. So we've been justified by grace through faith in Christ with an inexhaustible grace that we've been given in Jesus. So does that mean you get to live however you want? By no means. No, (laughs) by no means. It means that you are now free to do what you have now become. Yeah. You have become righteous. Now you can behave what you are. You can do what you have been declared to be, which is righteous. That's right. I I mean, Romans chapter 6 is one of my favorite chapters, or at least three or four verses, Romans one through four in the whole Bible, because it really is giving us a reminder of the anthropology that Paul gives us in Romans one through three of our death in sin, our death in Adam, our total inability to receive righteousness, except an alien righteousness that could be given to us. We're not going to attain this. Romans four being this connection of justification by faith. Romans five talking about, hey, you, you can be free in Jesus, but what does that require? It requires your recognition that you have died. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, Galatians 2.20, but him who lives in you. And where do we picture that? And that's where Paul goes in Romans 6 is baptism. Like you have been buried with him in baptism and faith. And now you're being resurrected in him so that you can walk in new life. I love, I wish Jen were here to do her three Ps because then we would have three alliterations and <laughs> A's, I's, and P's. But like part, part of what Paul's talking about here is our now power over sin is that the resurrection life that we have through justification is not just our ability to say, I am a sinner and I need mm-hmm. forgiveness. It's that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. I have received it. In addition to that, I've received power, resurrection power that has now overcome the grave that allows me to continue to learn how to walk in obedience. Yeah. I love this. You know, when I think about the distinction between justification and sanctification, the way that I'm, I'm actually preaching on this here in a couple of weeks, because we're getting into Romans six and the way I have it written is in justification, we are forgiven for good forever and we can never lose it. But in sanctification, we are freed day by day, Mm. bit by bit to look more and more like Jesus. That's good. I love this in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus will uh, forgive someone of their sins. Like he'll be like, uh, you are forgiven. And then what does he tell him? Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, hey, if you go and sin no more, I'll forgive you at the end. Hmm. He says, no, you are free. Pick up your mat and walk. Go and sin no more. Jesus brings forgiveness, and then he invites us into the better way of living, which is the way of righteousness, where he can say, go and sin no more. He, re- this is the pattern of redemption. He rescues Israel from Egypt. Miraculously, he brings them to Sinai and says, now live in my way. He doesn't shout down at them while they're making bricks with no uh, – what, what is hey. Pharaoh take? Hey. hey. Yeah, I was going to say No, I was gravel. just saying, hey. Oh. 
<laughs> I was going to say gravel. Then I was like, I don't think gravel exists. That's not it. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not gravel. Um, but uh, he doesn't shout out, uh, shout down on them when they're making bricks. He say, hey, listen, you know, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the full revelation of the law. Start behaving in this countercultural way in Egypt, and I'll come down and bring you out of Egypt. He mm. rescues them from Egypt. He brings them to Sinai, and he says, go walk in my way. Justification. We are freely forgiven. For good, forever, we can never lose it. But in sanctification, we are invited to go and sin no more. It's now, we, are, we are now able to perform what we have received, which is righteousness. We can be righteous. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. That's good. And again, I, I always want to be an advocate on this show, given Jen's constant barrage of biblical theology, which we all benefit from consistently. I want to be an advocate for systematic theology. But Kyle, I'd love to hear your thoughts here about this. Like, I almost wonder if this is one of the areas where systematic theology has failed us. Like, it. So, so the goal of systematic theology is to take all of God's truth and synthesize it so that we can understand it. That includes biblical theology, systematics, truth, history, philosophy, and like putting all these things together. Systematic theology is so hard. Like it's just a really, I don't, I don't mean to say it's harder than biblical theology. It's just a challenging discipline. But when systematic theology tries to simplify things, which it has to do, sometimes it can oversimplify things. And when we think about the doctrine of salvation, often we only think about the doctrine of justification. I have been forgiven and made right. But the doctrine of salvation must also include this doctrine of sanctification. And when we have bifurcated those two things, that has enabled or allowed people to to, to think, I have been made right, I don't have to be made holy, or I have to be made holy in order to be made right. And again... This is systematic theology, creating categories, which we should, the the Bible does, but like, I'm going to say something that my systematic theology friends are going to hate. Like, Paul doesn't have those two categories. Right. Yep. Like, those are categories that help us think about stuff, but Paul is not thinking to himself, you know, in Romans chapter 4, I'm doing doing justification, and then in Romans chapter 6, I'm doing sanctification. He's thinking to himself, look what God has done for you. Therefore, you've been justified and sanctified. Like they're the same thing. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. It does. And, and this is something over the next couple of weeks I'm talking about uh, in the life of our church through the preaching ministry, which is that we often think grace is permission to go do what – like we're now free. Mm. 
And that's true. But the way that Paul talks about grace, the way the Bible talks about grace is you have been given freedom, not so that you can live however you want, so that you can now live in God's ways. The writers of the Bible presuppose Mm. that God's way is better than your way. And what God is calling us to is better than what we would do on our own. And I think sometimes we think about justification, sanctification, these very categorical terms. And it's like, well, you need justification and sanctification would be really nice. Like, Hmm. please do it. Please walk, please, like almost like a begging. Uh, You know, you have been saved. Now walk in the the fruit of that, walk in the righteous way. Paul's presuming that you're going to walk in the newness of life. Like you couldn't be righteous. And if you've received righteousness, you now know what you didn't have. You've been given it freely. So you're going to perform it widely. You're going to practice it, you know? Hmm. And I think that sometimes we look at this and we go, we kind of like, well, I've been forgiven. You know, I, you know, all my debts are clear. It's like, yeah, but that Forgiveness is a foundation for you to begin to live faithfully. How'd you like that? Forgiveness is a foundation. Three Fs. See, you're just ahead of me in your preaching calendar. Here I am working it out, and here you are with alliteration. Uh, yeah, I was really, I was really tempted to say that about. I, I almost just said I really f that up. <laughs> Ooh, it is good. To, me. It is. Don't I mean, I me wish off. our sister was with us, but if she were here right now, she would be having a giggle fit. <laughs> Oh man, I, uh, I I heard it. I, I said it in my head, and then I said I'm not going to say that, and then I said it. So don't cancel me out in these Twitter streets, please. Um, Capty Bapty out here effing things up with his broken yeah. butthole. Oh boy, <laughs> now that one we may have to cut. <laughs> okay, if you're a first time listener, uh, then you might. There's more backstory on that uh, broken comma butthole. So just know. Uh, this this isn't us going off the rails. Um, well, we're going uh, off the rails a little bit. We are, we are a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we don't have our we don't have our referee here. This is uh, yeah. We're, we've actually is, done pretty good so far. Yeah, we we have. I'm proud of us. But we I, it it's does like seem two like kids. Like have you ever seen like two kids whose mom like they're they're like nine and seven, and the mom's like go have fun, boys. And like yeah. they the first ten minutes, like they they're really like disciplined. Sure. And then things start getting a little unwieldy. I feel like that's like we have a moment here, brother. To like we can we can rein it in or we can just keep going. It's I mean we'll see what the spirit does. Who knows? Yeah, I I think I know what our older sister would say. <laughs> um, um, so Paul Paul does set up a dynamic here that's pretty important for uh, Romans, which is this in Adam in Christ yeah. dynamic. And we we get a couple of these in quick succession in Romans five through eight. We get in Adam in Christ, and we get this dynamic between flesh and spirit. So maybe JT, would you talk about in Adam in Christ, and then I'll move to flesh spirit. Yeah. So representation means everything for Paul. Like this might be something that in kind of a 21st century, postmodern, highly individualistic and highly autonomous uh, world that you would have, that we might have a hard time getting our minds around, but this would not have been challenging at all for the biblical authors. There's this idea to you. I'm going to use the the big, maybe theological category. It's called federal headship. What we mean by that is representation. We are being represented by somebody. And Paul in Romans chapter five is saying, you're either being represented by being in, and in is such a huge category for Paul, in Adam, or you're being represented by being in Christ. And and some of us might love the idea of being in Christ and balk at the idea of being in Adam. And the reality is, is you can't have one without the other. If you want to be in Christ, you also have to realize you're in Adam. It wasn't just that you're in yourself and now you need Jesus. It's a realization that there's two humans 
who have ever lived in some sense. If we're simplifying all of world history, Adam has lived and Christ has lived. Uh, you are either in the sinner or you are in the savior. You're either in the one who fell short of God's law or in the one who perfectly obeyed God's law and by his grace and mercy to you gives you his obedience on your behalf. So we get this dynamic in Romans 5 uh, of in Adam in Christ. In Romans 8, we start to get another dynamic. So Romans 6 and 7 are kind of fleshing out, so to speak, okay, what is the impact that justification has on us? Okay, well, it doesn't just give us a license to do whatever we want. Now we're called to walk faithfully on the foundation we've been given. Hmm. And then in Romans 8, the Adam-Christ dynamic switches over to a flesh-spirit dynamic. Romans 8, verse uh, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So we get this, this dynamic between flesh and spirit, which is that we are born in the flesh. And Paul does not mean here we are born like our flesh, like our actual bodies. He's not a Gnostic. He's not saying our bodies are dirty and grimy. It's material existence is a profane. It's less holy than the spiritual soul existence. That's not how flesh is being used here. It's being used with reference to our natural state apart from the intervening grace of God and salvation, which we receive by grace through faith in Christ. So the dynamic here is, hey, you were born in Adam. Some are reborn in Christ. Uh, so everyone is born in Adam. Some are reborn in Christ. Everyone is born in the flesh. Some are reborn in the spirit. And because of that, they're now able to set their minds on the things of the spirit. And this right. battle between um, the old self and the new self doesn't go away. Romans 7 is kind of a telling of the story of how that might look. Now, when we interview Dr. Schreiner, I think he makes a pretty compelling case that Romans 7 is Paul speaking prior to his salvation. He's speaking from the perspective of someone who's prior to salvation. But the key point that Dr. Schreiner was willing to make was even after salvation, we still experience the effects and the impact of sin. So you're not saying that a Christian is someone who doesn't have any desires of the flesh, that never is characterized by sin. A Christian is not someone who never sins again. It's someone for whom now the possibility of not sinning, of behaving righteously, is actually possible. We can behave righteously. We can set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We yeah. can, verse 9 of Romans 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we get this dynamic, Adam, Christ, flesh, Spirit. And as Romans 8 continues, we get a few other words, or I kind of want us to land the plane here, talking about adoption, predestination, calling, and glorification. So uh, in verses uh, 12 through 17, we get the introduction of this idea of adoption. You hear in verse uh, 14 of chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The, the doctrine of adoption is an important part of the doctrine of salvation because it reminds us that we haven't just been forgiven by God. We've been invited to fellowship with God. God isn't just the divine judge who acquits us. He's the beloved father who welcomes us to his table. And adoption is crucial for that reason. Salvation isn't just forgiveness. It's fellowship. It's, it's, it's not one or the other. You're tempted to say it again, aren't you? <laughs> I'm trying really hard. <laughs> 
I think you should be proud of me that I didn't. I am. Uh, uh, and I know that our <laughs> listeners are as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you're, but you're exactly right. Here we are. We've been forgiven, invited into fellowship, and to even play off a little bit of the kind of the spirit flesh dynamic that you just helped us walk through is he then goes into chapter eight, verses 18 through 25 is, uh, I know that uh, like headings in our text are not inspired, but they could be helpful for understanding themes. And I've been using the CSB lately and the CSB here for the heading from 18 to 25 is from groans to glory. And I think that kind of helps us understand the flesh spirit dynamic is we now have the spirit that's been given to us, which has given us the glory, the righteousness, the joy of Christ. We are Ephesians chapter one, like we are this down payment deposit of the Holy Spirit, but also our flesh is wasting away. Like our bodies are wasting away. This world is wasting away. Mm -hmm. And Christians are always living in this contrast, right? Like this paradox, which I sometimes, Kyle, I don't know about you, like just to be maybe pastoral and not so much exegetical for a minute, the older I get, I feel in a deeper way whether it's parents who are struggling or grandparents who are struggling or the death of a loved one, or, I mean, this sounds so trite like this, but but it's also real for me and like my embodied experience as a fleshed person an embodied person, like my bicep doesn't work. Like my tendon ripped off of its bone. Why? Because our bodies are breaking. They're breaking down and they, they will not last forever. And they're in need of redemption and salvation also. So our, our spiritual hope is not that we eventually get rid of our bodies. Our spiritual hope is that one day even our bodies will be restored to this kind of groans of pain in this physical world will one day be made new by this glorious Jesus who's giving us this down payment of the spirit. That's good, man. Uh-oh. Um, I, I, hang on, hang on. Everybody, right now, Kyle has a joke that's coming. Um, I can tell. <laughs> like he was writing something down while I was talking. Kyle, Kyle feels like he's about to drop the mic right now. I'm not going to let him do it. I'm just going to get in the way. <laughs> Right here. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember that movie, Rookie with of the, the Year, kid, the baseball movie in the nineties? With a, do you think you're going to have a Rookie of I, the Year situation with your arm? If that happens, I would be just absolutely ecstatic. Like his bones fused together in uh-huh, this cast. Uh-huh, yeah. If that happens, I will let you be my bat boy. Wow, I would be honored. Um, <laughs> I'd be honored because, like, what if that was the story is like, man, this guy came out here back to his hometown to pastor a church, and then you get drafted by the Rockies? Like, you just walk on? Yeah, we will call that movie From Groans to Glory. Oh, my god, That's Romans chapter 8. Like, from gro- like I was the Little League baseball player. Like, I never I was any that. good. It was this groaning, this hope of what we would eventually have. But to glory, these bones would fuse together. Like, Ezekiel, <laughs> dry bones uh, be made flesh. Like, I love that. Your Twitter, your Twitter <laughs> bio then would be preach on Sunday, pitch on Monday. Oh, this is too good. I know. Like, at some point, we have to make, like, let's just, is there, if there's a doctor that listens to this, yeah, yeah. if there's a way that we can fuse some tendons uh-huh. together, we're yeah. ready. Yeah, we want that doctor. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, another P word here, preaching, uh, pitching, and uh, almost got in real trouble right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> preaching, you, pitching, and predestination. Now, when people hear predestination— You almost effed that up. Yeah, I did. Oh, my gosh. We— Ooh, okay. Jay, uh, come on back. Jay, yeah, we need quickly. <laughs> um, in Romans 8, 29, we hear— uh, 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Mm. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the word predestination, though, JT, is a word we didn't get to spend as much time on this. And I had a few listeners email me or message me on Instagram about this from last season, which is like, uh, predestination is something that a lot of people come to Romans 8 and they're tripped up by. Yeah. Uh, but it is an important part of the doctrine of salvation. And actually, you you, you could say that predestination is, is kind of the first kind of, I think I'd say this, the first part piece, if you so, if you could, uh, of our doctrine of salvation because it happens the earliest. Did you just say predestination is the first part and piece? You're, you have three P's there. Like you oh, were I just okay. on this. I thought you were. I thought you were about to be like uh, you're using uh, peace language, <laughs> no, 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 which no. in doctrine of salvation we shouldn't do because it, it divides the no, work. No, I'm of just God. saying. Like you are, you're in preacher mode right now, Kyle. I, I love am. It. I am. No, it's true. And 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 so let's. I, I think it's important that we hand, handle this as best we can clearly. Also, with the complexity that the Bible gives us, we don't want to oversimplify what the Bible teaches. I'm a compatibilist. I believe Jen and Kyle are also, and that means that we want to faithfully hold in tension the idea that God is sovereign and providential over everything, and yet our wills are compatible and fully free within that within his sovereignty. So like, let's just think about this. He go, let's go back to Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter four and Abraham. You have Abraham being elected, predestined, set apart by, well, why not his neighbor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why not the guy next to him that lived in the hut over or the village over or somewhere else that wasn't in Ur, but was in Babylon or Acadia or Egypt somewhere? And so we have to be able to hold intention. God elects a people for himself before the foundations of the world. And this begins to play itself out in the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their family, which makes its way all the way down to you. But this doctrine of predestination and election is not individualistic solely. It's also corporate. He selects a people for himself. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, that we then would be elect or predestined for the sake of others finding their election and predestination in the promises of God. So this doesn't need to be, if, like if predestination and election ever result in theological pride, you have missed it. Yep. Yep. You have, ab- if you find yourself as a part of the people of God and that results in pridefulness, then I don't think you understand what predestination pride and you definitely don't understand what grace is because it is this predestined, predestining work of God that we find ourselves in. We realize it's nothing that we could have done. God has kindly brought us into his family before the foundations of the world. And here we find ourselves clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus given to us through predestination, which therefore should make its way through us just like it does through Abraham and his family that this is now a corporate election. But at the same time, this is also something that we have to say, like in a compatibilist sense, we are responsible for our disobedience and now even in Christ, responsible through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, responsible for obedience. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yeah, you nailed it. And this predestination, those who be predestined, he also called. People, I've heard people ask me, um, what does this mean, called? Well, we can talk about two calls in the Bible, the general call of the gospel, which is the gospel proclamation to everyone. We'll actually talk about that in Romans 10 in one of our upcoming episodes, the general call of the gospel. But what Paul has in mind here is what we call the effectual call, the effectual call, which means that those whom God predestines, he calls through the preaching of the 
the gospel, the sharing of the gospel into salvation, which means the effectual call is the spirit wrought activity of, uh, of awakening the heart and bringing that person into, uh, by grace through faith into Christ Jesus, uh, and that new identity. So this is not just called, meaning he called out their name or the general offer of the gospel. This is the effectual call. So those whom he predestined, he also called those whom he called. He also justified. We've spoken about that. And then lastly, in Romans eight, we get this word, those whom he justified, he also glorified another word. This is probably out of the doctrine of salvation. I don't know. My gut, JT, is to say this is one of the more neglected aspects hmm. of the doctrine of salvation. Like I think if I asked, uh, you know, somebody who's even been around a lot of this stuff, hey, talk to me about glorification, the doctrine of glorification, they'd probably go, I don't really know what that means. Hmm. But I, when we think about glorification, we mean that there is a time that is coming in the future where we will be gifted a resurrected body. And we will be glorified, meaning we will now be free from even the ability to sin. Um, and Paul says we will, in this state of glorification, be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So glorification is this kind of forever long process where we increasingly become aligned with who Christ is, uh, the character of Christ, and I want to say susceptible, that's not the right word. We will, we, we will have increasing uh, intimacy mm. uh, and fellowship with God and with his people. That's, I think, a broad picture of glorification. Is there anything you'd add to that or take away? No, I like that. I like that. I think if anyone's going to take anything away from it, like glorification, again, is kind of under this, not kind of, absolutely is, under this umbrella of the doctrine of salvation that we've been trying to walk through. And I think if, if you've listened to this podcast and not heard this, it's that the Christian doctrine of salvation is far more beautiful and broad than, than most of us realize and imagine. It isn't just that you've been forgiven. That's true. It isn't just that you're being made holy. That's true. And it isn't just that you have this life forever with God. That's true. It's that all of those th three things are beautifully combined together and that you will live. So the, the early church had this idea of quorum Deo or the beatific vision of God, that one day you will live face to face in fellowship with God forever. And it will be the greatest delight of your heart. You could not imagine anything more pleasurable. You cannot imagine anything more beautiful, but you will live with Jesus by the power of the spirit and his father forever in this beatific or beautiful vision, which is this glory that we're promised. And so even it's important for Christians to realize death is not salvation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let's not call Barry Jones, one of our favorite teachers, says, never call a friend what God calls an enemy. Death mm -hmm. is an enemy of God, and it's, en it's an enemy of God's people. Yeah. But it is through this doorway of death that many of us will inherit this beautiful vision. But our greatest hope is that Jesus would return, like right now, like while you're listening to this, like right now, to make all things new and give us this glorious beatific vision forever. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, we did it. Well, <laughs> well, did we? <laughs> We're here. We're, We're here. <laughs> yeah. The audience is like, no, you didn't. Um, <laughs> nope, you didn't. Uh, listen, uh, if you felt, I'll say this. Let me just say this in conclusion. I hope this was helpful for you in thinking through the doctrine of salvation. Mm -hmm. If you felt like something was lacking, it was. That's a part of doing theology and community. Yeah. If you felt like, wow, there was a missing piece there. There was a missing piece there. And if nothing else, I, I, I'm really interested in hearing how these episodes live in kind of the 
archives of knowing faith because I do think that there'll be demonstrations. And I think that would be true even if you were gone and it was just me and Jen or if I was gone and it was yeah. just you and Jen. Yeah. I, I think that we would walk away and feel like, wow, that it felt like there was something absent there because there was. Uh, and I'm grateful for the gift of friendship and the yeah. beauty of being able to have uh, theological partners together. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so even this week at Storyline, I'm preaching on the local church as a family. We're not a local church. I'm not at your church. You're not at mine. But there is this kind of spiritual friendship that the three of us enjoy where there's always something lacking. And I, I mean, for this next comment to sound entirely positive, not negative, but there will be a day if the Lord tarries that the comment we were just making about glorification, when either I'm not here, you're not here, or Jen's not here. And we do theology in the meantime with each other, believing that one day we will do theology with each other forever together because Jesus is coming back. That's good. Thank you, brother. Listen, if you're looking for Knowing Faith on the internet, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you're new to the podcast and you're wondering like, oh man, I'd like other podcasts that are kind of in this similar space, then you should check out our sister show, the Family Discipleship Podcast. They've got some incredible guests this season, including Ruth Chow Simons and John Tyson. They've got some incredible folks. I would check them out if I were you, but you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you're wondering how you can support the show, then you can check us out on patreon.com slash faith, where you have a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff, other incentives and some exclusives. Or if you're like, I don't want to join the Patreon, but I do want to help the show. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help. I know that sounds crazy, but we hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace.